If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I'm excited for you to meet Sid Seabrandy, co-founder and CEO of GitLab, the DevOps platform. GitLab's single application helps organizations deliver software faster and more efficiently while strengthening their security and compliance. Sid's career path has been anything but traditional. He spent four years building recreational submarines for U-Boat Works and worked with the Dutch Ministry of Justice, developing several innovative web applications to aid lawmaking. He first saw Ruby code in 2007 and loved it so much that he taught himself how to program. In 2012, as a Ruby programmer, he encountered GitLab and discovered his passion for open source. Soon after, Sid commercialized GitLab, and by 2015, he led the company through Y Combinator's winter 2015 batch. Under his leadership, the company has grown with an estimated 30 million registered users from startups to global enterprises. Sid studied at the University of Twente in the Netherlands, where he received an MS in management science. Sid was named one of the greatest minds of the pandemic by Forbes for spreading the gospel of remote work. And with that, let's welcome Sid. Um, let's start with the basics. What's GitLab in your own words? Yeah, thanks for having me. So GitLab is everything you need to make software, all the way from planning, building, securing, deploying, and monitoring software, all in a single application. It allows you to make software faster, be more secure, be more compliant. We help companies make better apps so that their customers are happier. I want to go back to 2012. You joined forces with Dimitri, who started the open source project GitLab, or started the open source project that GitLab is based on without ever having met in person. Go back to that moment. What was the aha moment where you said, let's go do this? So I saw GitLab when I was a year old, and I was impressed because it made so much sense that something you collaborated with was open source, that it, it allowed for collaboration on the product itself. And I checked out GitLab. I was really impressed that already 300 people contributed to it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start GitLab as a service, gitlab.com. And I uh, emailed Dimitri and said, look, I hope you don't mind me commercializing your project. And he emailed me back. Love that you're doing that. It's open source. That's the whole idea that people can do that. A year later, Dimitri tweeted to the whole world, I want to work on GitLab full-time. And I emailed him like, hey, I'm the person from a year ago. I saw your tweet. Let's do this. I want to hire you. How much do you need? And he said, an amount. I went to the local Western Union money office. And I said, look, I, I want to send this from the Netherlands to, the, to Ukraine. And he said, do you know this person? Or is this someone you met over the internet? And they were afraid it was a scam. But... I made the wire and we were in business and he started making all the features that uh, people wanted in GitLab. What an incredible story. Uh, what gave you the confidence that this was the right thing for you to dive headfirst into? I've seen Dimitri and I've seen that account kind of contribute to GitLab day in, day out. 
when I hired him, I, uh, I got to talk to his uh, partner uh, sometime later. And I asked her, like, hey, do you mind me? I've hired Dimitri. He's working really hard right now. And she's like, no, it's great. He used to have two full-time jobs, and now he has only one. It's actually a lot better for us. For those uh, unfamiliar with the world of DevOps, can you give people that are listening a sense of how GitLab works? Um, what role does it play in the DevOps tech stack? Give us a sense. Walk us through what it means to be a GitLab user. So... Before GitLab, companies have a so-called best-in-class tech stack. They have one tool in which you plan what you want to make, then you make it in another tool, then you package it up in a third tool, et cetera, et cetera, all the way to a separate tool for securing, another tool for securing, and another tool for monitoring it. And what happens is that people are kind of stuck between the tools. It takes a long time to get anything done. What GitLab changes, it brings all those tools together in one interface. So all the different teams that have to collaborate, from the product managers to the backend and the front-end engineers to the UX people, they are all in the same tool. The security people, the operations people, everyone gets on the same page. And that DevOps process can happen a lot faster. At T-Mobile, they were able to increase their velocity by 10x. They were able to deploy 10 times as rapidly due to GitLab. At Goldman Sachs, they were able to go from two weeks to two hours to improve their most important application. As everyone knows, GitLab is built on open source technology. How have you approached deciding which features of GitLab to charge for? And walk us just through the evolution of your pricing model and kind of how that evolved for everybody. Yeah, GitLab is open core. So... Every quarter, we get hundreds of improvements to GitLab that are sent by our users and customers. We worked on our pricing model for a very, very long time. We tried consulting, we tried paying for support, we tried charging based on how large a customer was, how large the organization was. Those didn't quite work. What really worked was charging based on who's the, who cares most about a feature. So at GitLab, you pay extra for certain features. And what bucket a feature goes into depends who cares most about it. If it's an individual contributor, we make it open source. If it's an executive, it goes into our highest plan. Because the people who care then have the budget to actually buy the product. GitLab's revenue largely is driven by corporate customers. What have been your biggest lessons about go-to-market that you can kind of share with everybody that's trying to figure out their own go-to-market? GitLab had amazing bottoms-up adoption. Teams loved it. But we got stuck in the middle of the company because they decided five years ago to start building on their best-in-class solutions. Those best-in-class solutions weren't cutting it because the transfer between them became the bottleneck. And they said, okay, we're going to add the digital duct tape to string this all together. We're going to do DIY DevOps. And because they invested five years in that and sometimes have like 50 people working on it, they're reluctant to give it up. And we had to go over the top, reach out to the C-level execs and say, look, it doesn't make sense to make something mediocre and spend a lot of time on energy on it. Use the leading DevOps platform and save a whole bunch of effort so that those people can go on and do something that differentiates your business. Over a decade in now, you literally took GitLab public 10 years to the month after the first code was written, which is pretty crazy. Walk us through what that experience was like for you. Obviously, multi-multi-billion dollar business, um, huge market cap. How'd that feel? Yeah, when we took money, 
I talked with Dimitri and I said, look, what's your commitment to GitLab? And he says, I'm, I'm going to be here for 10 years. And I said, oh, that's great. He said, 10 years since I started the project. And we knew we wanted to stay independent as a company. And then the only way if you take external money to stay independent is to go public. So that was our aim. And we were really grateful we were able to reach it. We're not done yet. We estimate that the market for DevOps tooling is $40 billion. And us and our largest competitor together are less than 5% of the market. Walk us through a little bit about remote work. So you've truly been, Sid, at the forefront of, of remote work now. You have over a thousand employees working across the globe. For the leaders that are listening that are just really trying to figure out how to adapt to hybrid or remote, pay it forward to us. What are your biggest learnings as somebody who really has been a pioneer in the category, um, knowing especially, uh, you know, here we are in August of 2022, people are really still trying to figure it out. There's so much to remote work. Remote work is more than just having Zoom meetings. What we learned is that it's really important to create kind of the context for people to do it right. And we're now bundling our lessons in a framework we call Mac, managing so everyone can contribute. And with our practices, we're trying to help organizations make more informed decisions, get all the data on the table. We're trying to help companies make decisions faster make more of them and execute on them. There's so much you can do to help those, so, so many practices that we learned over the years, and we're, we, we wrote that up. So if you search for GitLab M-E-C-C, GitLab Mac, you'll find a lot of those lessons. And some of those lessons are transparency, like broadcasted widely in the company that you're making a decision, but also have a DRI, have someone deciding, and that person doesn't have to convince everyone who chimed in on the decision. If you do that, you slow everything down. So some counterintuitive things that we think are super helpful in, in order to make better and faster decisions. Were there any challenges that you had in remote work that you guys worked through that you can kind of pay it forward? So decisions that you made that you had to edit or get rid of as you try to help people get good at this? I think that one thing we're still struggling with is time zones. We try to do as many things asynchronous as we can, but for the things that are synchronous, it's really hard to work across time zones because of people that are working hours. So we continually try to improve things there, but it's, it's something that we haven't solved by any means yet. You're really at the forefront of this category. And as you just said, the category is a $40 billion category that's evolving. Talk to us a little bit about your predictions. What do you see happening over the next decade that's very obvious to you that probably isn't that obvious to, to all of us who aren't nearly an expert like you are? Two things. In our market, we see that companies are now getting it. They're starting to transition from DIY DevOps to a DevOps platform. And it's not just us. Gartner predicts that adoption of DevOps platforms will go from 20 to 60% over the next three years. So you'll see those companies saying, hey, we don't need to like pay for 10 different tools. We don't need to have people working on the digital duct tape. We want to have people be more effective because they don't have to context switch the whole time. And we want our people to be able to go faster from what we want to do to getting it out there and getting feedback from users. That transformation is accelerating. And we're now seeing this year for the first time that companies are coming to us. Like we're sold on a DevOps platform. We just want to check that you're the best one. A bit longer out, we see that DevOps 
model ops and data ops will come together. A significant application is no longer going to be just code. It's also trained models with ML and AI. And it's also the data that those models are trained on. Those are now separate worlds. Over time, these will come together. Which is, you believe that DevOps, model ops, and data ops will all converge into one platform that people will sit on. Exactly. We call it all ops. And we want to be leading in that. And the first step we're taking is to integrate model ops with DevOps. So integrate your code and your learning. The ML AI models, the training, the validation, the switching out of the models. Bring that together. Because it is the same world. It's the code calling out to the model and vice versa. So that's the first thing we're, we're going to bring together, and that's where we're investing. I love that. Is there anything that you can see over the next decade that you find really surprising or exciting or something that maybe even is quirky or far out that you're particularly interested in? Just like a lot of people, I continue to be amazed that AI research is accelerating, like the progress is going faster. And you learn in Silicon Valley to never underestimate an, an exponential curve. So. It's with great interest that um, I look through the papers from DeepMind, from OpenAI. It's, it's really remarkable what's being accomplished. You've built this really powerful culture of transparency, both internally and externally. And I, I think I learned that you would even let people come and shadow you for the day, you know, of all different walks of jobs. Where did that come from? What gave you that sort of leadership insight to go do that? You've even made your... Uh, company handbook public, for example, where did that come from and how's that going? The transparency came from our worry that as a commercial company around an open source project, we drown out the wider community because no one wants to contribute to a project and then have this kind of black box be unknown and kind of profit from it. So we said from the start, look, if, if we're going to keep this community and grow it over time, we have to be transparent. So it's first was a thing to grow the wider community, to grow contributions. Then it became part of our talent brand. People started joining the company because of it. And now the transparency is actually helping and convincing customers. Uh, a recent customer unprompted said recently, like, hey, we, we discussed all the value that GitLab's providing, how it's going to help us. But I want you to know, I also selected it because I, I like working with a transparent company. So that's very exciting. And it's, it's motivating us to do more. Our handbook of over 2000 pages is public. And there's a lot of founders that when they have a, a question and they, the first thing they wonder is like, what would be in the GitLab handbook about that? Because it's the actual thing we're using that the actual thing we're updating our actual practices. As for the Shadow program, it came about when I was hiring a chief of staff. I read some articles and they say, look, a, a chief of staff has great overview on everything you're doing. So this person is going to be amazingly useful as they transition to another part of the organization. And I know that we would hire a chief of staff like every few years, but we were growing at a, a really big rate. We're still like have hundreds of open vacancies. Our last quarterly, we were growing at 75% revenue year over year. We need to train people much faster. So I said, okay, maybe someone doesn't have to be a chief of staff in order to join my meetings. Maybe we can just get people comfortable with that. So people join it for two weeks. The first week, they're the new person. The second week, they're the experienced person. They help with taking notes, doing small changes to the handbook. And they get to see all the functional parts of GitLab. 
I'm in a unique position because all the different functions end up coming together at the CEO level. And it's really helpful for them to see like, how do we make decisions? What data do we look at? How do conversations happen? And what's important to leadership? So it's been a great program. People have been very good about keeping confidential things confidential. And uh, it's gotten rave reviews from the people who were able to participate, the team members at GitLab. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Sid, I want to transition a little bit to you, which is, you have such an interesting and amazing background. If you go back to your childhood and to growing up, was there anything that really stands out? Anything your parents did? Anything that you look back to your childhood that you really attribute to helping you be this successful? My dad used to run the, the local chamber of commerce. And while that by itself is not a very entrepreneurial job, you do get to meet a lot of entrepreneurs. So frequently that was a subject of our dinner dinner table conversations. Tell me more. Was there something very special that came out of that? You you actually have this quote of yours, which I love, which maybe maybe parlays into this. You said you optimize for interestingness with this entrepreneurial swing. In other words, you started GitLabs because you personally found the space really interesting. Where did that come from, this optimize for interestingness? If I look back on like what's gone well in my life, it's frequently been things that I'm really excited about. I'm just, I find it interesting and I, I follow that passion. So my finding things interesting is, is a leading indicator for them being useful to other people and them being unique. So I try to allow myself to do that. I maybe spend a little bit more time on tech meme and hacker news every day than is, is good for me, but I allow myself to do that. And when I find something interesting, I, I don't hesitate to pursue it. One of the things that really struck me in learning how GitLab operates is real excellence around productivity. You are a very productive person. Can you tell us some of your best hacks, some of the things that you really rely on to be as productive as you are? First of all, if you're not doing it already, please institute uh, speedy meetings in your company. So I have meetings for 25 or 50 minutes and give people a little bit of time in between. Otherwise, you'll find all your meetings start late, which is not efficient. We don't allow people to present in meetings. Send the slide deck up front. If you want to present, that's awesome. Send the video up front so we can watch it at an asynchronous time that's more convenient to us. Maybe watch it at 2x speed. Another thing is that I get Great people helping me. Every meeting has a doc with an agenda. And mostly it depends on like having great people to work with. Super fortunate with the team that's supporting me at GitLab and the executive group at GitLab and uh, the team that's supporting me in my private life. Sid, you've said before that most organizations take time to define their values, but not a lot of time reinforcing their values. 
Tell us a little bit about how you reinforce GitLab's value system and have done such a great job of. Yeah, so your your values are not the things you made up and, and put on the wall or put on your website. Your values are why you promote people, why you hire people, why you fire people. Those, by definition, are your values. So if you want to make your values stronger, you got to make sure that they're present at those very crucial moments in a company. Every time someone at GitLab gets promoted, there's a document behind it. It gets shared with the entire company. And the main structure is our values and how people are fitting well into our values and why that led to the promotion. We have 22 documented ways in which we reinforce our values in many, many different ways. And they go from the really important like promotion to the almost like trivial or maybe fun. We have a GitLab songbook and many of our songs, our values come back. So I think it's really important to reinforce. You can't have the old people train the new people. That doesn't work. They get Your values would get diluted. I think our values are stronger now than they used to be because we reinforce them. And that way, even if you grow a company from seven people to 1,700 people, you can still have stronger values. One other thing that I feel like I learned a lot from you from afar, you said one of the hardest parts of being a founder is making decisions. Um, Talk a little bit about what you think fabulous decision culture looks like. We've tried to capture that in Mac. The first one is informed decisions. Make sure that the relevant people know about you taking a decision. And one of the best ways to do it is to just tell everyone and people will kind of self-select in. People might be reluctant to do that because if you get a lot of feedback, now you have to respond to everything. So we explicitly say, no, you don't have to respond. You only have to read the feedback, but you don't even have to acknowledge it. Because as soon as you do that, as soon as you force people to respond or even create consensus, they will start hiding decisions. Because who wants a whole boatload of extra work? It's going to slow you down. Then you want a fast decision. So you try to optimize for one person deciding, typically the person who has to do the work. Because I'd rather have someone very motivated to execute a decision that's not perfect than someone having to execute a decision that is right, but they don't really believe in. Then you want to make sure that you have many decisions. Companies progress by the amount of decisions they make. Really important is to distinguish between two-way door decisions and one-way door decisions. If you can revert a decision, you need much less data to actually prove it because the risk is so much lower. And then it's executing on decisions. For example, at GitLab, we have key meetings where every department presents how they're doing against our KPIs, against our OKRs, what's top of mind for them. And it's not just me looking at that. It's the whole exec team looking at that. And then they get to redo the same presentation to the entire company. Not everyone joins. It's like 80 people who join, but the people who really care about that specific department or what they're working on, and they get to ask questions. So really raise the visibility. Don't try to do it by yourself as a CEO. You you don't have enough knowledge and bandwidth to help people. Have the entire company participate. Sid, you're an incredibly thoughtful human. I would love to get a sense of what are the one or two things that you do to stay sane? Because as you know, running a company is a lot. There's a lot of stress. 
there's, you know, taking a company public 10 years in is stressful. What are the things that you do to kind of keep yourself in balance? I try to not work after 6 p.m. I don't work weekends uh, most of the time. And I try to keep it light on email and Slack. It's, it can be very overwhelming to have the feeling you need to respond real time. And uh, I try to batch those things because I, I struggle with kind of the, the distraction of it otherwise. Last question I have for you directly, Sid, is what do you hold as sacred? I feel like all founders have something different that they think is like the most sacred thing that they feel like they have to keep uh, in check. What is it for you? I actually uh, <laughs> um, have a Slack message that I was uh, discussing with Terry. Terry is helping with my executive comms. And the message that I'm going to send to the company momentarily is, I've been reading the book, No Holy Cows in Business. Actually, I haven't been reading that, so well, just that part of it. <laughs> but I'm going to say, there's no holy cows at GitLab. And if you hear someone say, Sid said, that's not an argument to make a decision. So feel free to check with me. Maybe, maybe there's some information you're missing that might change your decision, but it shouldn't be that the CEO said something, that something happens, or at, in most cases, it shouldn't. Some of the best decisions in the company were things that I wasn't supportive of or I wasn't supportive of initially. For example, combining these different point solutions in a single application. I was against that from the start, but the company did it and the company convinced us. So no sacred cows, I think, uh, is, is the way to roll. Sid, I'm going to ask a quick fire round here. I'm going to ask a quick question. First thing that comes to mind is what we want to hear. Um, the first is what gets you out of bed every day? We do fitness. It was 5.45 this morning and my wife does it with me. So that's a good motivation to, to, to not give up. So thanks, Karen. <laughs> that's, that's great motivation. What's a book that you love that you've come back to that has had a massive impact on your life and it can be of any category? It's a management book, uh, High Output Management. I love it because it has so many le great lessons for managers. When I was younger, I read a book called Microserves by Douglas Coupland, and that really inspired me to go into tech. Love it. What's your favorite interview question if you're trying to really get to the core of who somebody is to decide if you should work with them? What do you like to ask? I want to understand what motivates a person. And the question is, like, why did you join that company? Tell me in a single sentence. Don't tell me about what you did, but why did you join that company and why did you leave it and go through the last seven companies they were at? I like it. Um, what is the biggest pinch me moment you've had to date at GitLabs where you literally couldn't believe something so amazing happened? You were so excited. What happened? There's been many and, and going public was a highlight. But the, the pinch me moment, I think, was when we combined version control and CI, kind of the beginning of a DevOps platform. And the combination was so much more than the individual parts. It was so much better. That was so, it exceeded our expectations by so much. We were like, wow, this is amazing. And then the second thought was, wow, we now combined two point solutions. What happens if we combine 10? That should be much better. And it is. Last question, fast forward two years from today. Uh, how many days a week do you think people are going into offices in this category of work? There's going to be different companies. Some companies will be co-located and you're, you're there five days. Some companies will be all remote and they will no longer have an office. Some companies are going to be flexible. 
as long as we don't do hybrid meetings, I'm good. But please don't have the conference room with people and then three people dialed in. Get a room, people. Like, all move into a room and have everyone have a microphone and a camera and be able to see the screen share and type in the Google Doc. Like, that's really needed. Uh, so no horrible hybrid meetings. I love that. Um, first of all, Sid, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you haven't already and you want to learn more, check out gitlab.com. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa Montobel. And Sid, we're rooting for you. Thank you so much for being such a fabulous leader that we've all learned so much from. Sincere thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.